singleness. Um, it's a funny, it's, it's a word that describes really a whole range of life circumstances, um, including people who are widowed, divorced, people who are single by choice and otherwise. It encompasses a lot of people. There are, you know, the statistics um, show us that there are a, an enormous amount of single people in this country and in, and in fact in this church, of course. But right off the bat, what I want to emphasize today is that this topic and this talk is not specifically aimed at single people. It's for all of us. This is relevant for us all. Over the summer, uh, a bunch of our pastors, we, um, we read this, I think it's an excellent book called Seven Myths About Singleness um, by um, Sam Albury. And um, there's, there's actually a, a resources area uh, over in the Connect area where they've got copies of this book. It's an excellent book. Um, and I, I found it really helpful because I think personally at the time, I think God was speaking to me a little bit and challenging me as an individual about how I view singleness. Um, and I think also that's something that maybe he's speaking to us as a, as a church about right now. And particularly asking us the question, you know, do you see singleness through, through the lens of, of the Bible or through the various lenses that our culture kind of presents us with? Um, because, you know, I was thinking about there's a couple of ways that our culture tends to see singleness. One is that um, singleness is sometimes perceived to be inferior to a married life. This idea that you need a partner to complete or fulfill or define you. You know, take poor, poor old Bridget Jones, for example, with her duvet and her ice cream. Or, or this guy um, not living the dream on the screen. I was reflecting, you know, personally, throughout my life, starting as, a, as, a, as you know, in nursery, singing nursery rhymes like The Farmer Wants a Wife, um, through, you know, watching endless films with that sort of happy ever after conclusion. This message that we're drip-fed, that a person's story is incomplete until they find the one. And I think that thinking has seeped into the church as well in places. Um, in this book um, that I mentioned, uh, the author described a situation where he was catching up with an old friend who, who, and she explained that her kids had now grown up and they were all married. And she summarised, so they're all sorted. And uh, the unintentional implication in that phrase is that single people are what? Unsorted? So that's one view, that, that a single life is incomplete, it's inferior. But in recent years and decades, it's been challenged by a contrasting idea, and that is that, that singleness is superior to marriedness. Just got a clip to show you. Hi. Big moment. Big and I are leaving. He's crossed his pain threshold and he's carrying me along with him. Everybody ready? Okay, girl, see you tomorrow. Okay. 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 Night -night. Well, let's, let's get your coats. Brilliant. That was Sex in the City. Not always the most wholesome program, but it shows like that sort of created a new narrative. Um, why get married and live in suburbia and doing the school run and watching your husband's bald hot spots grow day by day when you could live in Manhattan and wear $400 shoes? Marriage is a trap. It's suffocating, whereas singleness is, is freedom and expression. And to be fully true to yourself, um, you can't do that if you're chained to another person. And this kind of idea goes hand in hand with, with a wider emphasis that, that we see in our culture at the moment on individuality, independence, the glorification of, of me. 
um, and everything has to work for me. Culturally speaking, we've come, a, we've come a long way from the time where sex was seen as something that was tied exclusively to marriage. And so, you know, the idea is, well, you can experience all the benefits of marriage with none of the commitment and stress. And, and again, statistics are showing us that the proportion of people choosing not to get married is growing year on year. So there's these two ideas. On one hand, we're kind of saying, our culture seems to be saying singleness is inferior um, to married life. You need a partner to validate you, make you whole. On the other hand, we're saying only if you're single can you be, you know, fully yourself and free. So which is better? Is singleness better? Is a married life better? Are, are married people sorted or are single people free? Well, we're going to um, spend a bit of time looking at what the Bible says about this. Um, but before we do that, we're going to hear a little bit from somebody who's part of the church, who is single. Let's, let's welcome Laura. Come, come up, Laura. Hi, Laura. Uh, thanks for being up for this. Um, just before we start, it'd be great to just hear, hear a little bit about, about you. Sure. Um, so my name's Laura, and um, I'm loved by Jesus, and I've been following him for all my life. Um, I've been part of this church for about 14 years now, and I come from a great family that all love Jesus. My parents are about to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary. Um, my older sister is already in heaven. My younger sister lives here in Nottingham with a great husband and a gorgeous nine-month-old little girl. And my younger brother lives in London, also married to a great girl. Um, I'm a children's doctor um, for medical people. That means I'm a pediatric registrar. And I've just come back um, working in Nottingham again, um, having spent some time working in Rwanda and Mozambique. Okay, wow. Okay, so singleness, um, in practical terms, what does that look like for you? Yes, yeah, so I guess firstly I'd want to say um, the single experience is different for um, different people. And I've listened to quite a few talks on singleness over my um, years. And when I was in my 20s, I would listen to people in their 30s or 40s who were still single. And I'd sit there thinking, Jesus, please may I not have to wait that long. Um, and now I'm in my 30s. I can listen to people in their early 20s or mid-20s um, talking about the struggle of singleness and um, kind of think, well, you haven't been single that long. Like, do you really know that much? <laughs> and uh, so... You know, and, and some people here will not want to get married and other people will have been married and no longer married. So I, I understand that people have really different experiences and I'm not saying that I'm sorted or, um, you know, have all the answers. But I hope that by, by sharing some of my story that God will use that and speak to people how he wants to. Um, so I guess for me, singleness has looked like a few relationships um, in my teenagers. And then before coming to uni, God um, highlighted how I would turn to guys for my uh, validation and security and how um, uni would probably be a bit of a, a change in insecure time. So I, you know, I said that I'd turn to him rather than guys and that practically looked like um, agreeing with him, promising him not to kiss any guys outside a relationship in the first at least term of university. Okay, and I bet that was a good way of avoiding freshers' flu. Totally. As well. <laughs> yep, so stayed away from freshers' flu. Um, and uh, in kind of the end of med school, um, did have a period of time where I was going more towards worldly affection. But even in that, God protected me hugely. Um, and, you know, over the last 12, 13 years, there's been guys that I've liked and hoped something would happen with and hasn't, um, other than just one serious relationship. Yeah. 
Okay, so, and I guess you're the kind of person, Laura, where, you know, for, for those, we look at you and we're like, wow, she's, she's got a great job. She's got loads of friends and family. She travels around the world. She's like got a relationship with Jesus. So it looks like you, you're winning at life. You're sorted. Is life, you know, is it easy? Is it fun? Um, so there is definitely fun parts about life and there's also definitely hard parts. Um, I guess I've chosen not to let my relationship status define me and I've chosen for it not to let me, um, to stop it, stop me saying yes to Jesus um, in all he offers me. And Jesus never promised an easy life, but he promised life to the full. And so that's what I live. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess it's really been a journey of hope and disappointment and a question of do I really trust God in this area of relationships? Um, I'd hope that I would meet someone at university and get married, go to Africa together, have some kids, go back to Africa together. Um, and none of that happened. And so kind of at each moment where had another invitation opportunity to go overseas. Um, that was really tough because I was like, God, I'm here again and I'm still single. Um, but over the years, I guess I've yeah, learned that if you take your disappointments to God, then he turns them into an opportunity for deeper intimacy and a deeper level of trust with him. Mm, yeah. yeah. So what have been along that journey, have there been sort of particular moments that you've felt as like a what but what what gives a challenging example of a challenging time yeah so I think turning 30 was particularly challenging um I remember being around the age of 16 at a friend a family friend's birthday party and she was 30 and she was single and I distinctly remember saying to God please can I be married before I'm 30 so then when I got to turning 30 and I was still single that you know all the questions came up like why mm. did you not hear me have I done something wrong like all of, all of those questions and in that God you know you know, spoke to me in that. And one of the things that he highlighted was, well, what is my hope in? And my hope is my hope in marriage, because if it is, then a hope deferred will make my heart sick. But is my hope in Jesus? Because if it's in Jesus, he never disappoints. Brilliant, brilliant. So obviously this is a bit of a journey that you've been on with Jesus, but also as part of a church family with other people. Um, so what, what's that been like? Yeah, so there's been some really great things about being part of a church and some challenging things too. Um, I think one of the really great things has been able to be part of people's lives who are at different stages. So I have some good friends that are married and with kids and um, being in that community where we're able to be real and honest about what is good but also what is challenging yeah. um, has been really helpful. I think we can all easily compare the worst of our own situations with the best of someone else's. Yeah. Um, and as single people, we do that. But as married people, they can, you know, you can do that too. Um, and then having some amazing single friends too um, to do life with. So, for example, in Mozambique, I would um, run with some absolutely amazing single girls and would process life together. Um, and while we were there, a cyclone hit. So some amazing single guys came too. Um, and uh, so we'd talk about that and, you know, it was really easy to look around and compare again and say, you know, these girls are laying down their lives for Jesus. Why would anyone pick me over them? And processing that with one of them and she was like, Laura, you need to remember who you are. You need to remember your value, your worth. And um, she quoted a verse in Proverbs where it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And she was like, Laura, you're a good thing. And I think when we can know who we are and love out of that place it gets rid of comparison mm. and creates good community so that was obviously really helpful to hear from a friend are there times where people say have said things to you that you found less helpful and encouraging 
Definitely. Um, one of the regular things people say is, um, so why are you single? And, um, you know, sometimes I'd reply, well, if I knew, I maybe wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I don't regularly ask married people, well, why are you married? Yes. <laughs> um, and then the other thing um, that can come up quite regularly is use your singleness to work on yourself so you're ready for marriage. Yeah. And I kind of get where that comes from, um, but it sets up this thing uh, where it implies that single people are deficient in some way or, you know, we're not yeah. spiritually, emotionally ready enough, um, you know, or it can create kind of a formula type thinking. If I read my Bible enough, fast enough, um, you know, then I'll be ready. Jesus will say, here's your husband. Uh, my housemate Bernie and I will joke about, well, maybe if we just up our cooking skills, then we'll be <laughs> our wife. <laughs> so that's not particularly helpful. Yeah, that's not. And I think that whole thing of like, you know, it implies that married people are sorted in a way, doesn't it? And it's like, yeah. I wasn't mar sorted when I met Abby or when I got married or now. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, one of the things that people often say about singleness is, you know, they might say, oh, actually, it's really good, though, because it affords you flexibility to do various things. Obviously, you do all kinds of stuff. What do you think about, about that? I think there is a definite grace and uh, certain ease and freedom in the single season to pursue Jesus with everything we have, like Paul says. Um, but often kind of that comment can feel like it's coming out of a comparison situation or a either or. Um, and, you know, it is great that I can travel, but that's not my aim. And actually, I would have loved to travel with the husband and serve God overseas with someone. Um, and then I also know married people with kids that are you know, laying down their lives and in Mozambique, some friends with a five-month-old, the husband went into very dangerous areas after the cyclone to distribute food and his wife went with their kid to Kenya for another charity day oversee. So I think we can either see, you know, life starts when you get married, but also, you know, that's not true. But it's also not true that life stops when you get married. It's about knowing what God's calling to you, calling you to in the season that you're in. Yeah, that's great. Last question. Um, is this, I think this is something that I think perhaps, especially outside the church as well, people might ask and, and, and question is, as a single person, as a, as a Christian single person and, and pursuing celibacy, um, how is that realistic and healthy, you know, because you don't have the opportunity to express your physical sexuality in the same way. So how can you find intimacy? Mm. Um, I think often, um, particularly people outside the church, will mostly be referring to physical intimacy when they're talking about that. And and that is real and it's hard and it's a struggle. And as John said in the intro to this series, lust is real. Um, and it's about being honest about that, having people you're accountable to and being aware of what we fill our minds with too. Um, but, you know, Jesus and Paul both were single and they did that well. And so, you know, it is possible. Um, I think also... There's a bigger sense of intimacy um, that maybe we don't talk about so much, but emotional and spiritual intimacy plays is really important too. And I've, you know, many times, if you turn to Jesus, he's always there. And so many times uh, that's been the case for me. And one time, for example, I was in South Africa and at the southernmost point of the continent, looking out over the sea, the sun was setting. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, but this sadness came over me, and I was like, Jesus, I would love to be able to share these memories with, with someone, to have someone to have traveled with and have a shared history with. And he just really gently said to me, but Laura, you do. You share all these memories with me, and you have a shared history with me. And that's just, you know, it spoke to my heart so deeply, and it's so true that 
um, you know, intimacy with Jesus is what it's all about, staying at his feet, being where he is. Um, recently, I was struggling again with being single um, and chatting to someone, and he was sharing how when he was single, he was having a beautiful worship time with Jesus, um, just singing, I just want to be where you are. And the presence of God was was there. It was amazing. And God just kind of stopped him, and he felt God say to him, but do you really? And he was like, of course, this is just beautiful. I just want to be with you. And he said, but do you really? Because I'm in singleness for you right now. He's like, ah, oh, don't think I heard you. Don't think I heard you. Hi, me, Satan. And God was like, no, no, I'm I'm in singleness for you right now. Do you want to be where I am? And I think that's the thing. It's about you know pursuing Jesus. Like Jesus loved us so much that He gave up everything. He laid down our li- His life for us. So why wouldn't we lay our lives down for Him and use whichever season we're in to pursue Him with all we have? That is amazing. That's so helpful. Brilliant job, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. So helpful. So we've got a little bit of time. We've got some time left. And we're going to explore some of the stuff that the Bible also says, um, particularly Jesus' example and his teaching on aspects of singleness, starting with identity. Um, I don't know, you know, how much time we spend or whether it's ever occurred to you that Jesus was single. Um, You know, in fact, some historians say that Jesus was the first person to talk about singleness as a valid way of life. Because in in ancient Judaism, it it wasn't. uh, Family was hugely significant. It was tied to blessing. In the um, Greco-Roman world, it was similar. You know, they didn't have retirement homes in those days. You needed your family to sort of support you in later life and continue the family line. In fact, there's records of people referring to, if you died without kids, it was referred to as the double death. And um, so the more that you look at the historical context, it's astonishing, actually, that Jesus and then later in the New Testament, Paul, um, were both single and they spoke about singleness in an affirming and positive way. Um, after, after Jesus in the, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul validates and celebrates singleness. And he explaining that it, in the particular circumstances and context that he was writing to at the time, singleness was actually an advantage. And that was a, a radical way of seeing things. And so this sort of idea, if it exists, that that a married life is better than a single life, that doesn't come from the Bible. It contradicts the Bible. Um, and, and, And the reality that we're actually presented with is that as a single person, you're made valid, not despite your singleness or not through your independence. You're made valid, as we all are, through Christ. It's through Christ that we're reborn, that we're given new life, that we're washed clean, that we're given a purpose and a calling. It's in Christ that our identity rests. However, I think it's important to stress that in the midst of that, it's totally valid for um, single people to have feelings. You know, Laura did such a good job of expressing the reality of living with unresolved hopes and longings for relationship those kind of feelings are often part of being human and part of being a sexual human creation that we all are. And so it's not wrong or weak to wrestle and struggle with singleness or to grieve um, the loss of a spouse, to feel bereavement or to bear the scars of separation or divorce. We don't need to try and ignore or suppress those feelings. 
but it is helpful to acknowledge that they aren't our ultimate identity. Like Laura said, I doesn't, my singleness doesn't define me. It's good to frame that within the primary identity that Jesus gives us as a child of God. Now, none of that means that it's easy. And I think that's where also for those of us who are married, we have an active role to play in all of this in supporting, upholding and celebrating a positive and a true view of singleness. So, you know, it's wonderful to celebrate with friends um, when, when there's romance blossoming or when people get engaged or married or have anniversaries. But we need to be careful to avoid talking in a way that sort of implies an expectation on everybody to follow that trajectory for their life. Um, so it's not so much helpful always to turn to a bridesmaid, for example, at a wedding and say, oh, it will be you next. Um, or like Laura said, why aren't you married? Or turning to a single guy um, who's holding a new friend's baby and saying, oh, you'd make a great dad. Some comments, they can be really well-meaning, but, you know, chatting to single people in preparation for this talk, they're not always perceived as helpful. You know, I remember when I switched careers uh, to be a pastor, I remember people around me um, especially outside of the church, saying things like, oh, so when, are you, when will you go back to doing a proper job then? And they were laying their cultural expectations onto my life. And what I experienced at the time was that here at church, you didn't, you didn't do that in the same way, unless perhaps I preached a really bad sermon, you might have said that. But the reason that you didn't generally was because we, we have a shared understanding of identity and calling and purpose. And the principle is the same. We mustn't lay our cultural hopes and expectations on other people. We, can only, we should only lay kingdom hopes and expectations on others. And so as Laura encourages, it's helpful to, to show care with the language that we use because it's easy to say things about marriage and singleness that, that aren't helpful or, or aren't even true. Um, looking at the, the topic of, of sex, um, the Bible is really clear all the way through as you read it that sex belongs solely exclusively in the context of a marriage. Jesus was quoting um, Genesis and he said in cha Matthew chapter 19, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become flesh. And then later in that passage, he goes on to talk about people that were described in the ancient world as eunuchs, uh, which were men, which were for various reasons, single and celibate. And it's clear that in Jesus' view, the, the godly alternative to marriage is celibacy. So, so no sex outside marriage. And that's, you know, something that obviously where our culture would be so quick to challenge that. They'd be like, you what? Are you serious? Because that's seen as an outdated and potentially unhealthy view. You know, and I'm aware there'll probably be a number of people, many people in the room who might not agree with that that's best, or there might be people in the room who agree with this idea in principle, but struggle with it in practice. And that would certainly describe me before I got married. Um, because there's this view that our sexual expression of our sexual appetite is, is, is just necessary. And if we don't quench that appetite, it will have a negative impact on our health or our well-being. It will prevent us from being fully ourselves. But it's helpful to remind ourselves that as Christians that Jesus was single. Jesus never had sex and he had a full life. And whilst there is no like, specific record in the Bible of Jesus ever being sexually tempted, 
it's not unreasonable to assume that he may have been because we know that he was tempted in various ways by the devil and we know that he was fully human. Um, he had a sexuality um, as part of being human. So in his celibacy, we see that Jesus lived out his own teaching. He, he, he wasn't calling us to a standard that he wasn't willing to embrace himself. And I would say that in a sense, Jesus kind of still is living out a sort of patient celibacy because the Bible teaches that, that marriage itself is a picture. It's a symbol of a wonderful future event when Jesus will return and be reunited with the church. And in that picture, Jesus represents the groom and the church represents the bride. And that future event is going to be like a, the marriage is a picture of that wonderful future event. And so in a sense, in this present moment, Jesus is longing to be restored and united with his bride, the church. And so I believe that as a Christian single, as a, sing, a Christian single commits to celibacy, that part of their self that longs for sexual union yet remains unfulfilled is an act of obedient worship. And it reflects our longing as a church to be united with Jesus and his longing to be united with us. And I think in a way that is unique to single Christians, it's an opportunity to, to bring glory to God in a wonderful way. So uh, what, a few thoughts on intimacy and belonging. After God creates Adam, he declares um, it's not good for man to be alone. And I think the point that he was making here is not so much that it's not good for a man to not have a wife, because if that was the case, then Jesus' life would have been not good. But more fundamentally, I think it reflects the truth that humans weren't created for isolation. We're created to reflect God's relational nature. So if not in marriage, where can a person experience intimacy and that sense of connection and being fully known? Because our culture tells us that it's that level of intimacy is, possible, is only possible in the context of a romantic relationship. I love what Laura said, though, about that moment where she realised that intimacy is always available to her and to all of us in the person of Jesus. And that's something that Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, he, he explained something along those lines where he said that he discovered the secret to finding peace and contentment in all circumstances. And the secret was through relationship with Christ. But beyond that, as followers of Jesus, his desire is that we would also experience intimacy and belonging in him, but also through the church, through one another. Um, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this is in Mark chapter 10. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus was making it clear that choosing to follow him will involve costly choices, challenge, persecution, self-denial but his desire is that we would be blessed relationally um, in in that journey both in the future in heaven but also here on earth that we should have no lack of relational intimacy and the church is the people and the place that are designed to meet that universal need that we all have I think this passage is a 
it's it's actually a radically challenging passage for us as a church right now because it's saying Trent Vineyard we need to be a church that's more that's about more than just like meeting together and spending a little bit of time together on a Sunday it's about more than small talk it's designed to be a place that resembles family and I want to ask for us to consider what what might that look like for each of us it might involve disrupting some of the neat boundaries that we have in our lifestyles it might involve um, opening up your home to start a small group um, if you do that you'll find that there's a cost to it um, you know all the organization the tidying the late nights the coffee stains inevitably on your carpet but the reward is being part of helping the church fulfill its design to be a place of family a place of intimacy and that's priceless and I think particularly perhaps for married people as well I think there's a particular challenge for, for us to share our lives with others. I think Abs and I have experienced, especially since we had kids, that it's just easier on a practical level to hang out with married people who have kids of the same age. Because, we, you know, we assume that, like, single people don't want to hear us talk on about catchment areas for schools and whether our kids can wipe their bottom yet. And they're probably, we're probably right about that. But that doesn't mean that single people don't want to spend time with our family. I remember um, a few a while ago, um, we were having lunch in the cafe. It was really busy. And I spotted this guy who was on his own looking for somewhere to sit. And so I sort of waved him over and we scooched along and he sat down. And I remember at the time feeling a bit bad about it because I thought he probably wants to have a relaxing lunch. And now there's like pom bears and yogurt everywhere. But I think it was maybe 18 months, two years later, he, we were in, I was chatting to him and he said... And he referred to that moment and he said, you know, you probably don't remember that, but that was that really meant a lot to me. I love kids. I love I don't get the opportunity to hang out with kids. And I really, really valued that time. One of the things um, in this excellent book that Sam Albury wrote, an example that he gives is um, a family that he'd built relationship with over a long period of time and you know, spent lots of time together, meals together with the kids and all of that. And it just reached a point where they, that one day they just handed him a house key and said, look, you're part of the family now. And I thought, wow, that, what, what would it look like to get to that place of relational connection? Inspiring. So whether you're single or married, I believe we are all uniquely placed by God to contribute to the lives of one another in this family. So how are we going to do that? Who are you going to share your life with? Um, just finally, a couple of thoughts moving in on that into purpose and opportunity. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 19, Jesus said, for there are eunuchs, that's single celibate men who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, at the time, this was quite a radical thing to say. Jesus was acknowledging that alongside those who were made or born that way, there were also people who were willing to set aside the opportunity of marriage and children for the sake of the kingdom. And later, Paul kind of um, expanded on this, talking about the gift of singleness. And there he was referring not to singleness as like a, some kind of supernatural gift like tongues, but more to do with recognising the opportunity that those circumstances offer you. It might be the time, the flexibility, the opportunity to speak into the culture around you, to live a model, a life that's distinctive, so that people would ask, wow, why, why do you do that? 
for some people, um, singleness in the midst of that is something that they feel called to. Um, it's something that they're choosing to do. For others, that's not their circumstance. But I believe that in both situations, singleness is not, it's not on one hand a convenient lifestyle that affords you the flexibility to do what you want, nor is it some sort of like holding bay before the rest of your life kicks in. It's a season with purpose and opportunity to serve God's plan for your life. The, uh, an American pastor called John Tyson, talking about singleness, said, leverage whatever season you are in for the sake of the kingdom. And I think that's a, a universal challenge to us all as followers of Jesus, because as followers of Jesus, we're all called to the same mission. It's not about making ourselves happy. It's not about finding the one. It's about pursuing the kingdom, advancing the gospel. And God has each of us in the season that he has us now with a purpose in mind. So let's not miss it. Let's recognize it. It might be, you know, getting involved to serve the poor. It might be supporting a family who could do with some help that you know. Going abroad on mission. It might be including a widow, a widower, a divorcee in your life. Sharing the chaos of your kids with somebody. Or sharing the love of the gospel with your nurse from your hospital bed. We don't have to wait for the next season to pursue the kingdom. We all have an opportunity to do it right now. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. The big thing is that the world needs rescuing. People desperately need to know Jesus and experience his love. And whether we're married or single, it's an all play. So um, why don't we, um, let's, if you're able, why don't we stand? It would be great to just to provide some space to pray for anyone who'd value some prayer in a moment. But before we do that, um, I just thought it'd be helpful. You know, often people who, who do stuff like when they're talking on a stage, they might often say, you know, my name's so-and-so. I've been married for 10 years. And we all sort of applaud and recognize and celebrate that. But you, you very rarely hear somebody say, oh, my name's Jeff and I've been single for 20 years following Jesus. And we all applaud that. Um, but I thought in a way it would be quite nice and appropriate to do that right now. There'll be many people in this room who've been pursuing Jesus and living out their singleness in a way that they're seeking to please Jesus and advance the kingdom. And you know who you are and you'll know, like Laura shared, there are ups and downs to that. And as a church, we want to just take a moment to affirm you and celebrate you. So let's just do that now. Let's do that now. Yeah. Right. Okay.